What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, it's Jen Kirkman. So this is a new episode to you. It was released on the Patreon as the video version a couple of weeks ago, I'm still in the transition into the new podcast um, family or network. And so I'm not putting out the new theme song yet or the new art that will all be coming. So as of now, I just want to make sure you guys have some new episodes. So I've got two to launch that have already you know aired on the Patreon. Um, there might be another lag for another week or two, but keep hanging in, stay subscribed and here we go. So we, I took out the old theme song. We're just sort of, this is the in-between area for right now. And enjoy this episode. And thanks. Hi, everybody. I'm Jen Kirkman. Welcome to my podcast. What is this, you ask, if you're new? I am a comedian. I have two comedy specials on Netflix streaming right now. I'm Gonna Die Alone and I Feel Fine from 2014 and Just Keep Living from 2017. They are streaming now on Netflix. I'm also a best-selling author of one book, but I did write two I can barely take care of myself, and I know what I'm doing, and other lies myself. Another lies myself, and other lies I tell myself. You can buy them both on Amazon or wherever you buy books, and uh, don't buy them used, or else it doesn't go towards my book sales, and then I can never write another book. There you go. This wasn't supposed to be an ad. This podcast is where I can show another side of myself, be myself, and you can enjoy being part of my weekly monologue. It's a friend leaving you a really long voicemail. Nothing is scripted. It's not joke per minute, but it is sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always honest and real. So this is the part of the show where I normally tell y'all my tour dates. But as you may know, as you may have noticed, there is a global pandemic. And so I am not traveling I'm not even allowed in some countries. Some states I'd have to quarantine for 14 days. Everything's been canceled for 2020. But not my podcast. And so you can sign up on Patreon for as low as $5 a month. But imagine if hundreds of people did that. That'd be amazing. We've got hundreds so far. 
but I'm trying to hit even more because, again, you're paying my bills. JenKirkman.com slash Patreon. You get bonus episodes every week. Obviously, the more you pay, the higher your level, the more bonuses you get. I released stand-up that I recorded on the road over the past few years that nobody has ever heard. And all kinds of other bonuses, interactive things. Sometimes we do live chats. You get more than you're paying for to rest moi. So go on over to patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. If you're like, she's rich, she doesn't need this. If I was rich, if I were rich, either one, I would do jack shit. This is a job. I'm working in the coal mine, working in the, this is work. Okay, so go on, join that. I love you. All right, so what are we going to talk about this week? I've got some listener emails to read to you, but I think today we're going to talk about comets and cults. Not cults like an animal, cults. Like I'm in a cult, I'm wearing tinfoil on my head, and I'm waiting for the spaceship, that kind of cult. The reason it came up, two reasons. We just recently had a comet that I missed out on. I didn't see it. I realized it was, I'm I'm gonna listen, I'm not gonna talk bad about myself. I was just gonna say it was pretty dumb of me. Why are you so mean to yourself? But I'll say it was, I wasn't using my best thinking, thinking that I would go outside where I live, which is a city, and look up in the sky and ex- expect to see a comet. But the thing is, I don't live in, uh, you know, Lightstown, USA. It's not like, I, you know, I live in Los Angeles. There's some smog and city lights. It's not easy to see stars, except the celebrities. Oh, my God. Can you believe it? Honey, the podcast is funny this week. I can tell. she's She's being real silly. So, but you know, I live in uh, the valley. It's not as city-ish. And I, I do see stars at night. I guess it didn't dawn on me that I, I probably wouldn't see the comet unless I went way out into the desert. But see, I'm not doing that in the COVID pandemic. I'm not driving far away so that, what, I can get bitten by some weird rattlesnake and then have to go to the ER and they're like, oh my God, um, the only other people in the ER, they all have COVID and there's no protection and now you have COVID. I'm like, oh God damn it. I would have just died in the woods from the rattlesnake bite. Now I'm on a ventilator. Oh, you're not. We don't even have any of those. Oh, for fuck's sake. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be careful. Anyway, there was a comet and, and this stuff is, you know, I feel like I need to say this, and I don't know why I do, but I, <laughs> I'm i aware of what's going on in America. I have big-time opinions about the way COVID has been handled. I am terrified of the upcoming election. I am incensed at the stupid green men army being... Put everywhere. Everything is mental. Everything is a nightmare. I'm still angry at people who voted third party. I'm angry. I got all angers. I'm scared. I'm concerned. I want to live a purposeful life that helps others. And I have to say that 
I am at that level of frustration where if this cannot be a political podcast, I am not afraid of alienating fucking anybody. It's just that I, 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 this is me when I start talking politics. If you want political, Jen, you can go to Twitter. You know, uh, I used to use Twitter to attract people to come see me on the road. It just doesn't even work that way anymore. So now it's just like, here's the other side of my personality. And I've got Twitter fans who probably don't even know I have books or podcasts or tours. It's, it's all weird now. You know, everybody is fragmented into different parts of themselves. This part of me, and we can talk about serious things, but I like to keep it on the emotional tip, you know? And and I like this podcast to be like, I feel like we're in hospice. You know, at a certain point, and God bless everyone who who is an activist, um, I try to put my money where my mouth is. If you buy any of my merchandise, I donate all of my earnings to fund the front lines, which helps health workers get PPE. And that will be thousands of dollars this year that I could have kept for myself that I actually could use, but I won't do that, right? So that, you know, in these little ways, I do my thing. But I can't, I know nobody is expecting me to do a political podcast here, but I just want to let you guys know I'm not ignoring what's going on I'm just in this one hour a week show. I'm not addressing it. Now, I might sometimes, again, this podcast can be whatever it wants to be. But right now, I don't have words. And so, therefore, I don't want to waste anyone's time just not having words. And also saying the same words that everyone is saying. So, that's that. And there you go. How's that? Give her her own political show. Call it That's That and There You Go. I love this girl. Honey, you got to listen to the podcast this week. She is making some good points. What kind of points? Well, she says she's not going to make any here, but we can go to the tweets. You know, I don't have a Twitter, but I I type in on Twitter.com and then I look up her name and I can see the tweet. You know, I... Listen, I don't know. It's crazy out there. It's crazy out there. I think that's what she's saying. It's crazy out there would be a better show name. Well, honey, it might not always be crazy out there. You know, you don't want to have a show. Oh, forget it. You know, he doesn't know anything about show business. Okay, so, oh, God. So I know what's going on. But I would like to talk about comets and cults instead. So I we're in emotional hospice here. As I was saying, God bless the activists. What I can offer is anxiety relief and this feeling of emotional hospice. I think our country is in hospice. So I'm here to entertain you while we're all on the big morphine drip. Okay. But I don't want you to feel like you're part of something that is ignoring reality. You're not. So we have this comet, us earthlings, It was called, oh my God, where is it? Recent Comet. I thought I had this already. I did, but I just can't find it. Oh yeah, so Neowise. 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 A new comet, Neowise, appears in Earth's skies. The comet this is from a few weeks ago, has grown much brighter in recent days and will make its closest approach to Earth in about two weeks. So that was uh, 
uh, July 10th. It's already happened. A comet spotted by a space telescope has suddenly brightened enough to be visible to the naked eye, giving new hope to sky watchers disappointed by recent comets that failed to easily be seen. And there was this really cool video of the comet traveling throughout the world. You know, they time-lapsed it, and it's like, there it is over Germany, there it is over Asia, there it is over... It was so cool. It almost looked pretend. I mean, honestly... It looked pretend and it looked like a spaceship, which I know it isn't, but it was, it was really fun to watch that video. The new comet can be seen this weekend after sunset above the northwestern horizon as it moves farther from the sun. Again, I know I'm telling you, this is where you can see the comet that already came. Um, it was detected on March 27th of this year. Most comets are not bright enough to be seen from Earth. But Neowise showed some early promise. An astrophysicist named Amy Manzer, she was the principal investigator for NASA's Neowise mission. She said, as soon as we saw how close it would come to the sun, we had hopes that it would put on a pretty good show. It survived. It's, so I guess when comets get close to the sun, that's when they're in danger of breaking apart from gravitational forces. So they were keeping its eye on it. And then when it didn't break apart, that's when they knew, oh, we're going to be able to see this thing. It will pass within 65 million miles of the Earth. Imagine being able to see something that is 65 million miles away. So then now it has headed out to the far reaches of the solar system on a roughly 6,800-year orbit. So I hate to tell you all, uh, since you are all, I think, mortals, you're not going to see it if you didn't see it. It's a three-mile-wide kind of dirty snowball that's left over from the formation of the solar system about 4.6 billion years ago. That's the comet's nucleus. That's amazing. I don't even comprehend that. I know what I said, and I get it. Yeah, this really long time ago, I see the solar system. It was formed then. But the nucleus of a comet is leftover stuff from 4.6 billion years. I, I can't, I wish I could feel those words. I wish I could feel the knowledge of that. It's overwhelming. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. As the comet gets closer to the sun on an orbit that can take tens of thousands of years, the frozen gases, they start to boil off, and the vaporized gas and dust spread out behind the nucleus to create that visible tail. And that's what you could see if you watched that video. And um, I'll link to it on the Patreon page. But yeah, it just looked like this little thing with a tail going, oh, I'm going all around the world by myself. Look at me. I'm a big boy. So there you go. Pretty exciting. It's not expected to grow as bright as the great comet known as Hale-Bopp in 1997. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But it's one of the brightest of this century.
So there you go. My whole point in bringing that up and, and going, oh, well, I don't want to. There is still, you know, we're humans. And we have sociopaths and psychopaths among us. And we have people who want to hurt others. And we have a world that's pretty effed. But we also live on a planet that is doing stuff without our permission, beyond our control. And I know that that scares people. That used to scare me, but now it comforts me. I don't have to do anything, you see. I can just sit back and let comets whose nucleuses are made up from shit from 4.6 billion years ago fly around. Wow. I get to just be here and know that. That's really exciting to me. And it gives me hope that, again, I, of course you want to be an activist. And of course you want to change the world. And of course, whatever you believe in, you want to fight for it. But at the same time, it's okay to be a person full of awe and joy at this gorgeous, ridiculous, can't explain it. I mean, some people can. Universe that we get to observe. And maybe that's what it is. I know some people will feel a sense of failure if they don't personally say that their generation solved the climate crisis. But what if it's just what it is? That there's this beauty and majesty and nature and forces going on and we were dumb humans pushing our agendas because we don't want to look up and realize what control we lack. We have greed. And so we've got to manufacture this and that's going to spoil the environment. And I have to have my things and I have to just that. Everything we do is a reaction to, oh my God, I'm going to die. Got to make myself comfortable. And very few people want to make themselves comfortable with things that I think could, if you look at it differently, could make you very comfortable, which is Again, the beauty of a universe you don't control. So I feel no guilt that I'm not stressing out every second of the day or fighting this every second of the day. That is not the nature of human. And while you are fighting things every second of the day, you don't have to do it with a feeling of stress in your body. Joy, wonder, awe are available to us at all times, no matter what we're doing. And love, obviously love. So there you go. So I wanted to talk about, so as you know, I'm a bit of an older woman. No, I'm in my 40s. Who? And I was recently on a writing job with some people that are in their 20s. And by the way, they're genius. They're really good writers. But we have different frames of reference. And I want it, you know, sometimes you watch a TV show and if it's multi-generational, someone's going to say something maybe you don't understand, but that's because it's an older generation or a younger generation. And I wanted to put a line in there and I forget what it was, but it was about the Hale-Bopp Comet and the Heaven's Gate cult. And the younger women didn't know what I was talking about. And they said, I don't think anyone will get that reference. And I said, no, you don't get the reference, but that doesn't mean other people won't. And it was the biggest thing that happened in the 90s in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, it was like Bill Clinton 
A, getting elected at all, and then his Monica Lewinsky scandal, Kurt Cobain's death, uh, hail bop. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, these were stories that just, lady dies. These are things that were just out and about. So, and it wasn't a cheesy joke I was making where like I could use a more current reference. It was someone specifically referencing something from the 90s that was a big deal. So I thought, well, maybe people don't know about it and let's revisit it. So I started listening to this podcast called Guru. And, you know, I, it's okay. There's something about, you you know, I listen to those podcasts that tell stories. I was telling you guys that I was listening to the one about if the band Scorpions were CIA agents and that one, that podcast is called Wind of Change. And although they all seem to follow the same cheesy formula, it does work. It's easy to pay attention to. I can follow the story. But this podcast guru, I, I found myself going, wait, what? And well, we, there was a lot of just, they didn't mark time that well in the stories they were telling and, and it it got confusing sometimes. But basically, there was this guy who, Oprah fucks up a lot. <laughs> Oprah loved the secret and she had all that on the show. She had, the, the I didn't ever watch the movie The Secret, but she had people, motivational speakers that were in The Secret on her show. And this one guy, everyone really seemed to love kept coming back on her show. And he ended up leading these seminars where people, what was his name? James Arthur Ray. So James Arthur Ray would lead these sweat lodge things where a real sweat lodge run by by natives to the land would, it's not supposed to make you have heat stroke. And he would run these things and people would get heat stroke some of them died and he would say you know it's all in your mind mind over matter he was a sociopath so this podcast talks about that and anyway I just started thinking about cults and also Leah Remini and her show about Scientology she and Mike Rinder the guy that she did her show with, they now have a podcast called Fair Game and they can get more in-depth about everything Scientology. So there you go. If you guys like cults, there's some things for you. But I realized that the Heaven's Gate story is so crazy. It's like 19 levels. Again, this is a hack thing to say, but if it were a movie, people would go, too many things. There's too many factors. They didn't, you don't have to have all of that. But it was all real. These people did a million different things in this cult. So I'll just remind you, in the 90s, there was a really super cool comet discovered called Hale-Bopp. And it was a really important, important discovery. On July 23rd, 1995, two astronomers, Alan Hale and Thomas Bopp, 
both discovered the same comet, but they were not together. Hale-Bopp had been in our skies for 18 months. It first became visible to the naked eye in May 96 and faded from the naked eye in December 1997. So, oh, well, July 2020 is the 25th anniversary. So look at I'm right on schedule, right on schedule. I had no idea till I just said that. So again, as I've said, we don't see comets all that often. They usually break apart once they get closer to the sun, blah, blah, blah. So Halley's Comet is a famous comet. That was way long ago that um, astronomers called it a short period comet. Some of us would be lucky to see it twice in a lifetime. The comet uh, was seen in 1986 and it will come back around Halley's Comet in 2061. So I remember Halley's Comet was like a big thing when I was a kid in the 80s. So then we have Hale-Bopp in the 90s. Hale-Bopp, unlike Halley's, is a long period comet, meaning you won't see it again in our lifetime. Its orbital period is huge. It will take over 2,000 years to orbit the sun. So again, unless you're planning to live past 2000 and you might I don't know what kind of supplements you're taking maybe Joe Rogan's got you on something real good that's gonna probably not happen in your lifetime so on a clear night in 1995 Alan Hale was observing some other comets from his home in Cloudcroft New Mexico when he made the discovery he was using a 41 centimeter Mead Newton Newtonian reflector we've all got one of those in our garage somewhere And he was passing the time, waiting for this other thing to appear over the horizon, when he turned the telescope to a a globular star cluster, and he noticed a dimmer, fuzzy object in his field of view. Little did this Alan Hale know that Thomas Bopp, some dude up in Arizona, had just discovered the same thing, which would turn out to be one of the most important comets of the century. Following their observations, they both reported their findings, and the comet's discovery was officially announced by the International Astronomical Union on July 23rd, 1995. So here we go. I'm recording this episode just a couple of days after that 25th anniversary. But Hale, he wasn't sure how big that comet would become. He said, I was very excited about the discovery. I had no way of knowing at the time that it would turn out to be such a bright object. I figured at best it might be a newly found short period comet. Again, those are ones that we could see twice in a lifetime. It became known, though, as the Great Comet of 1997. Its size and its orbital period explain why we saw it in the sky for such an unprecedented length of time. Again, it said goodbye to the naked eye in December of 1997. So, did we learn anything from Hale-Bopp? Scientists concluded that it was about 4 billion years old. <laughs> How much Botox does that need? 
And the comet was also helped to build upon our knowledge of planetary formation. It, ha- it helped to fill in the gaps in scientists' knowledge about how planets form. So, since then, that one of the, the guys, the Hale in the Hale Bop, has developed Ice and Stone 2020, an online educational program of weekly lectures and presentations from the Earthrise Institute that focuses on things like comets and asteroids. So that's pretty cool. So now, let's go to the story. There was a bunch of people who were brainwashed into thinking that this comet, because again, if you think about it, the comet was visible to the naked eye for over a year. So a cult leader would have time to put a cult together based on this comet, right? It's not like a shooting star and you think, wait, how did this cult form around a shooting star? I mean, I was just sitting in the backyard. I saw it's there, it's gone. Again, now as we see, comets can be visible to the naked eye. They can just be in the sky, traveling around, doing their thing for about a year. Plenty of time to start a cult. Maybe the next comet that we see, you can do the same thing. So this cult was called Heaven's Gate, and a bunch of people were convinced that following this comet was a spaceship that was going to take us home. Now, again, not big enough for everyone, I guess. (laughs) Just one spaceship that would fit this exact amount of people, and they killed themselves because they believed they were simply shedding their bodies so that they could go on the spaceship and have eternal life. Who hasn't been fooled by something like that? You're standing outside the supermarket, you sign your name, you get a letter later and you realize, oh my God, I just signed my soul away. I signed my soul away to a cult. Uh, I better try to get off that list. So that took a lot of planning. I mean, imagine getting to the point where, I mean, of course, some people are susceptible to cults, but you got to have a real good cult in order to get people to go, no, 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 that, that makes sense in a, in a way that I'm choosing to believe. So we're going to get back to this in just a moment. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break. And I'm going to tell you about two people who did not join a cult. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Again, as you guys know, I've got my Patreon. And if you are at the $35 and up level, you get five bonus episodes a month. Plus, you get a personal shout out from me in which I declare that you are one of my best friends and I make up a story about you. Or do I? Maybe these stories are real. They're not. So this week, I'm talking about my two best friends. Colleen Cunningham. Now, Colleen is actually the inspiration for the Cunningham family. If you remember the show Happy Days with the Fonz and Richie and all them. That's right. There was going to be a character named Colleen Cunningham. Based on this woman, Colleen. And, well, I'll tell you the whole story. So, I'm at the farmer's market in Los Angeles. And I see this beautiful woman, like a starlet type. You know, older woman. And she comes up to me and she says, do you want to hear a story? And I'm thinking, well, not really. I mean, if, you know, yeah, if, I, if you're going to tell me some cool Hollywood story, of course I want to hear it. If you're insane, no, I don't. You never know. So you're got to take a chance. So I said, sure. And so she bought me a coffee and we sat down and she said, I'm going to tell you a secret. I signed a non-disclosure agreement that just ended and I'm finally free to tell the truth. And I said, what, what? And she said, the TV show Happy Days was supposed to be about Richie Cunningham and his sister Colleen. I said, well, didn't he have a sister, Joni? Yes, but there was also Colleen. And Colleen was a real wild child. She was going to be one of the first hippies. And I thought, because, you know, the show was filmed in the 70s, but was a, it was about the 50s. So the people in the 70s writing the show would have had the knowledge of hippies. And... Colleen had been a famous hippie and she realized, you know, I don't want my life being turned into some sitcom. That's, no, I don't think it's right. So at the last minute, they're filming the pilot and she says, no, no. She's in the audience and she says, no, I'm sorry. You have to fire this actress who's playing Colleen Cunningham. You cannot use my life story. Well. They shut down production. That actress playing Colleen Cunningham, she went back to Ohio and became a mother of six, and she works on a farm. She caught a mad cow disease and unfortunately did pass away, but Colleen feels no guilt about that. So anyway, that's Colleen, and she had to sign something that said she would never reveal this story. And she's become one of my friends. She's a great starlet. She's got stories. I've had to avoid her because of coronavirus. I don't want her to get sick. She is an older woman. But she's got a feather boa collection to die for. Oh, all kinds of stories. And she said, speaking of cults, that she did meet Charles Manson once. And he tried to seduce her. And she just said, you seem nuts. I mean, anyone can tell. And he just kind of was like, huh, no one's ever really talked to me that way before. And he just turned around and left because he knew she wasn't susceptible. So there you go, Colleen. Thank you. Thank you for using your actor's pension to pay $35 a month to be a patron. 
And then there's Deborah Dawson. Oh, she also lives in L.A. So this is what's funny. When Colleen and I sat down at the farmer's market so she could tell me her story, Deborah Dawson, it's her coffee shop in the farmer's market. Now, Deborah Dawson is a fucking badass. So Deborah owns a coffee shop. There is a star. So I don't know if you guys know, but the the Los Angeles farmer's market, it really is uh, originated in the 30s and 40s. And it's very authentic. And there's cute little shops and, you know, go buy some penny candy. You can buy your fruits and vegetables. There's more modern things, a bar, but but quaint little shops, nothing, no real, you know, it's not like there's a target there, but there, but there are, there is a Starbucks. And so Deborah Dawson, this badass, opened up a coffee, like a little coffee kiosk called Fuck Starbucks. And she was allowed to do it because she spelled Starbucks differently. And what's cool about Fuck Starbucks is she's got like little paper mache um, UFOs hanging from the ceiling. It's actually this really cool place where you can uh, read about planets and things like that. And at night, she does have a telescope so you can get a coffee and you can look through the telescope. She encourages you. She only serves decaf at night because people come in and they start drinking a ton of caffeine and then they look through the telescope and they're like, oh my God, dude. And they get all excited and they get jittery and they knock it over. But Deborah has gone through so many lawsuits from Starbucks that she finally won, that she's just getting her, her feet back, you know, back. Um, and then of course the pandemic hit. So I'm like amazed that she can support this podcast during this time. But yeah, she's really cool. Her coffee is so good. She grows it in her backyard. She's, this is weird. She has a tropical rainforest in her backyard, which not many places in LA do, but it's rent controlled. So you're like, she sounds like a rich bitch. No, no, no. She just got really lucky. So, oh my God, I just, I just love her coffee. So Deborah Dawson, she sat there and she was like, Jen, you can totally trust this woman, Colleen. She's a regular. She's got great stories. And she gave us free coffee that day. And I feel bad because, again, this was right before the pandemic hit. And um, I didn't get to give her a tip because she doesn't take Venmo or anything. It's cash only. And I didn't have cash on me. So, ugh. And now she's paying me 35 a month. I mean, I mean, the guilt. I can't. So thank you, Deborah Dawson. You're a true badass and a good friend. And may your tropical rainforest bring you more great coffee beans. Okay, so let's talk about the Heaven's Gate cult. So this is what's crazy. The two people that ran the Heaven's Gate cult, Louise Winant and Marshall Applewhite. Wait. No, their names were Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. And they started the Heaven's Gate cult in the 70s. That was the earliest inclination. And they started it, I'm not kidding, I have it here, August 28th, 1974. That's the day I was born. I was born on such a big day. (laughs) Uh, It's the day of the Martin Luther King I Have a Dream speech and the day that a cult was started. I mean, if that's not my personality, I don't know what it is. By the way, I hope no one thinks I'm trying to start a cult by teaching little relaxation classes. I'm trying to do something I can charge people for (laughs) because I'm trying to earn a living while I wait and wait for maybe a writing job to come in that I thought would have come in by now, but everything's on hold. And I really just, it's my passion to help people who aren't severely mentally ill to take their anxiety, uh, to take some joy in helping their anxiety. Okay, so 
here's the Heaven's Gate cult and how they eventually met up with the Hale-Bopp comet. So this guy, this Marshall Applewhite, was a real friendly guy, funny guy, a devout Christian, devoted husband, father of two, and he just walked away from it all to start a cult. And this is why people, before you get married and have kids, you have got to ask yourself and have the talk with your partner. Now, do you think that you have gotten everything out of your system? Have you had sex with every person that you want to? Have you lived everywhere you've wanted to live? Because we're about to start a family. You know what? I'm glad you asked. I've, I've always wanted to start a cult. Okay, I think you're going to need to go start it now because I really, really don't want you to disrupt my life. No, no, no. I, you're right. Thank you. Oh, what a sad breakup. Well, I hope your cult goes well. Well, th- thank you. I hope you find the right man to have kids with, and I'm sure I will. So anyway. This is when... 1970s, lots of new age beliefs were cropping up. Hippies and free spirits, you know, they were still living that unconventional life and wanted to find themselves. Very strange that the Heaven's Gate cult embraced tech. It had a website before a lot of other businesses did, and its beliefs had this kind of Star Trek bent. They talked about aliens, UFOs, and ascension, basically ascending. Their goal was that we should be ascending to a higher evolutionary rung. But it also borrowed from other religions. So, for example, Marshall Applewhite, the founder, again, I said he was a devout Christian, he claimed that he was going to be able to save his followers from the devil. And he said that he was possessed by the same alien spirit that had once inhabited Jesus's body. So that's when when you go, oh, wait, how are you going to save me from the devil? He's like, oh, no, no, easy explanation. So Jesus was possessed by an alien spirit. What? I I know Jesus did some crazy shit, but that's not in the Bible. I did not read anything about an alien spirit in the Bible. Yeah, a lot of people skip over it. Uh, But no, it's totally true. So... Jesus was possessed by an alien spirit, and uh, I'm possessed by the same one. So I don't know how you can kind of not believe me when I tell you that's how I can save you from the devil. Like, seems pretty cut and dry to me. Why wouldn't you believe that? So that's, you know, what Marshall Applewhite's saying to everyone. It did obviously, uh, you know, draw a lot of ridicule. But it actually did convert some people to his cult. And eventually, the end of the story that we'll jump to, and we'll go back and take you through time, 39 cult members turned up dead in a 1997 mass suicide. So, the cult started, again, August 28th, 1974, my birthday, (laughs) Under the leadership of Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. Applewhite was born in the 30s in Texas. In the early 70s, he was a music professor in Houston until he was allegedly fired for having a relationship with one of his male students. Doesn't it always come back to that fucking homophobia in this world drives 
people insane, what they have to hide because they're a devout Christian and it's illegal to be gay and it's the 70s and it's Houston. So, you know, you have an affair with a male student because you married a woman because you couldn't marry a man and now you have to start a cult. All because of fucking homophobia. So, he's fired. He meets Bonnie Nettles. She's a 44-year-old married nurse. And uh, Nettles. So, Nettles convinced uh, Applewhite that his near-death experience, he had a near-death experience and he was in the hospital. And that's where he met Bonnie, his nurse. And uh, he had a near-death experience. And Bonnie, the nurse, said, oh, well, you've been saved for a purpose. Basically, he had some heart trouble, had a near-death experience. This nurse started putting some bullshit in his ears when he woke up. But then this guy... This apple white guy, his story is a little different. He says he was visiting a friend in the hospital when he met Bonnie Nettles and felt an instant spiritual connection. So we don't know. Did he have a near-death experience and she was his nurse? Was he visiting a friend and met her, the nurse, there? But whatever had happened, you, you want to get your, your origin story of your cult uh, I think on the same page. That would be my advice. Like I can't believe 39 people ended up dead part of a cult that had two conflicting origin stories. But anyway, Marshall and Bonnie started talking about their beliefs and they both had an abiding interest in astrology. Uh, even though Marshall leaned more towards the mystic and, you know, biblical stuff. So they were convinced that they were the two witnesses that were described in the book of Revelation. There, in the book of Revelation, it talks of two tormented prophets who are killed for their gift, then resurrected by God and brought to heaven moments before an earthquake destroys a town. So they're convinced that they are these two people. Sometimes they called themselves Bo and Peep, or they went by Winnie and Pooh or Tiddly and Wink. These are, these said, hey, look, these are some fun cult leaders. They're having fun with names. So it was a platonic sexless partnership in keeping with, you know, that was the lifestyle they preached and encouraged among their followers. They even encouraged castration. Again, homophobia, self-hatred will drive you insane. So Bonnie was like the mystical one. And Marshall was the charismatic speaker. So this is how they recruited followers. In 1975, Bonnie and Marshall gave a presentation about Heaven's Gate in Oregon. They distributed a flyer that was this mix of conspiracy theories, science fiction and, and kind of religious proselytizing. And UFO was written in big letters at the top of the flyer. But underneath was a disclaimer, not a discussion of UFO sightings or phenomena. Now, right there, you go, again, guys, you this mixed up messaging. And again, people are like, that's weird. I guess I'll go to it, even though it's telling me it's not the thing I want it to be. The flyer provided two paragraphs of information on Heaven's Gate that began, quote, Two individuals say they were sent from the level above human and will return to that level 
in a spaceship UFO within the next few months. In this presentation, Bonnie and Marshall promoted Heaven's Gate, which was also called Human Individual Metamorphosis, Him, and Total Overcomers Anonymous. <laughs> what? With the premise that a UFO would come and whisk the cult members away, elevating them to a new world and a better life called Tela, the evolutionary level above human. And so, you know, on the flyer, there's a picture of an alien. It's wearing this kind of, looks like a Teflon shirt. And it says, this this might be a member, uh, this might be what a member of the kingdom of heaven will look like. So 200 people attended this talk and a few of them were interested enough to follow up. So it was a very grassroots approach. Bonnie and Marshall were able to convince people to leave their homes and belongings behind, to travel the country in extreme poverty for over two decades. Again, this is the 70s. The comet didn't kill people until the 90s. The cult members didn't have a real home and they maintained anonymity. It was a radical move, obviously, but for some, the choice was kind of the spirit of the decade. They were giving up conventional lives and they wanted spiritual answers. Michael Conyers, who was an early recruit to Heaven's Gate, said the appeal of Bonnie and Marshall's message was they were talking to my Christian heritage, but in a modern, updated way. Now, obviously, I guess Michael did not go ultimately to uh, the death situation in the 90s. Um, For example, Heaven's Gate taught everyone that the Virgin Mary was impregnated by being taken up in a spacecraft. Now, by the way, why not? Like, if you're going to believe someone just like got pregnant by God, like, why not next step believe it was a spaceship? Who Like, fine. Okay. That I like can see because it's like the whole thing's a wild story anyway. I'm not, you know, making fun of anyone's religious beliefs, but I'm saying it's a wild story anyway. It's not like saying, oh, I'm the reincarnation of Jesus. That's a little harder to believe when you start bringing it into the here and now. Conyers said, now, as unbelievable as that sounds, that was an answer that was better than just plain virgin birth. It was technical. It had physicality to it. Members of Heaven's Gate did think that suicide was wrong, but their definition of suicide became super flexible. The problem was the cult was operating on a clock. That's a very good device if you're writing a script. You need a ticking clock. Cultists thought that if they stayed on Earth long enough, they would face recycling. That it doesn't mean... Uh, put your plastic straw in a bin, but the destruction of the earth as the planet was wiped clean. They didn't want to be here for that. So Bonnie and Marshall were convinced that it wasn't going to come to that, but that a spaceship run by Tela, the Tela beings, the level above human, would arrive and pick them up before the apocalypse. That's fun. Is that an Uber app? (laughs) Can I schedule a pickup for just sometime before the apocalypse? Just beep when you're outside or text me. Okay, so then Bonnie gets diagnosed with cancer. 
Doctors told her she didn't have long to live, but she was confident in her destiny, and, and it's alleged that she refused to believe them. Uh, she did die, which was a huge blow to Marshall, obviously, on all levels. But her physical death had the potential to overset a number of their teachings about the cult members' future. It was then that Marshall started to rely more heavily on one particular strain of the cult's beliefs. Human bodies were merely vessels, vehicles, that were carrying them on their journey, and they could be abandoned at any time. So he told everybody, Bonnie left her body, and she returned to her home among the tele-beings, and she would continue to help them from the beyond. But he, Marshall, still had work to do on this plane of existence, and he would finish out their project and guide the cult members to meet Bonnie. That moment was a subtle and important shift in the cult's ideology that would obviously have far-reaching and dangerous consequences. By the way, I'm getting all of this from a website called allthatsinteresting.com. So, March 26, 1997, the 39 active Heaven's Gate cult members used the money that they'd made from a bunch of online enterprises. I mean, I'm always like, there was no internet in the 90s. I couldn't figure it out. These, look at what these people were doing. One of the services, um, one of the online enterprises was a service to help people reconnect with lost friends and a web design firm called Higher Source. And they rented a mansion in a gated community just outside San Diego. I love it's always like live in poverty for years, but upon your death, rent a mansion. It's not clear where Marshall got the idea that there was a UFO trailing behind the comet Hale-Bopp. But some people think the conspiracy theorist Art Bell, who is a famous radio host with his popular show Coast to Coast AM for creating that delusion. Obviously, Art Bell did not predict that someone would start a death cult. But anyway, Marshall saw this as a sign. He recorded himself saying that getting on that spaceship that was following the comet Hale-Bopp was the only way to evacuate this Earth. The spaceship that followed in the wake of Hale-Bopp was the flight the Heaven's Gate members had been waiting for. It was coming to take them to the higher place they were seeking. And it was coming just in time. If they waited any longer, Marshall was convinced that the earth was going to be recycled, wiped clean with them still on it. Beginning on March 26th, over the course of three days, the 39 cult members ate a mixture of barbiturates and applesauce, then washed it down with vodka. Group by group, They tied bags over their heads to ensure asphyxiation and then waited for death. Those later in the lineup cleaned up the mess made by the first groups and laid the bodies out neatly in their bunk beds, covering their faces with purple cloth. You think at that point you go, I don't know, this is weird. They're dead. I mean, I know that's the point. Their bodies, but they didn't see a spaceship come. So are they supposed to think, oh, they're dead? but their soul went on a spaceship that I can't see yet. Like at that point, it still doesn't stop. I mean, cults are wild, man. Anyway, Marshall was the 37th to die. And I do admire him for not, not dying. You know what I mean? 
He didn't just go, oh, you guys can die. I, you know what? I changed my mind. Uh, he left behind only two others to prepare his corpse alone in a house of bodies. Ugh. Anyway, when a former cult member came to check on them, he found 39 people lying neatly in their bunk beds, identical black and white Nike sneakers po- poking out from purple shrouds. Matching armbands read Heaven's Gate Away Team. Whew. So there you go. I would encourage all my listeners, don't join a cult. Just, you know, just some simple life advice. Um, but exciting things are happening in the world of uh, the Pentagon releasing more things from its UFO program. And of course, most people are worried about unidentified flying objects because they they don't they want to make sure that other countries aren't developing higher grade things that we can't develop and it's all really about war. But there is one person quoted in these documents, one astrophysicist who says No, flying saucers, as in from another planet, are real. And he says, the Pentagon has found off-world vehicles not made on this earth. So that's in NewYorkMagazine.com, also in the New York Times. Off-world vehicles sounds like the aliens are douchebags. And they're driving those, like, Hummers. And they're like, yeah! And, like, cracking beers. Like, I'm in my off-world vehicle. Blow, you know stardust in your face. I don't like off-world vehicle. I don't like that. So there you go. Anyone who didn't know that story, now you do. Let's read some. Let's close out with some listener emails. What are y'all's up to? Well, I had them all neatly here. Oh, here they are. Hi, Jen. I've never written you an email, though I can claim bragging rights that I've listened to you. Oh, wait, where's my little reading email music? How dare I forget that I like to have my um, non-copyright fake jazz playing. I don't even know if you can hear this. I think the last time I did this, it, it really wasn't like playing that well. Enough ads. Like, I get it. I get it. Hi, Jen. I've never written you an email, though. I can claim bragging rights that I've listened to you since your first episode. My husband, Matt, has written you a few times. And you even read his letter on your... What's happening? On your 300th episode. We love listening to you every week and being Patreon subscribers. We now sit down with you every week to watch. (laughs) It's been a real treat during quarantine. My purpose for writing twofold. First, I had to say thank you for using your podcast to communicate that you are still strictly following quarantine guidelines and treating the pandemic seriously. We live in central New York where numbers of infections have been down but are now slowly creeping up. We are still keeping ourselves on social lockdown, following every precaution we can, and it's very reassuring 
to hear you speak from a similar point of view. I'm not usually a second guesser when it comes to preventative health measures, but the cavalier attitude of lots of people out there wearing no masks, hanging out in groups, going to restaurants can wear on even the most steadfast rule follower. My other thought was concerning this week's episode. Your, dis- your dissection of Morrissey on Carson was epic. You should consider adding a segment where you do a deep dive on an old interview or pop culture moment from the late 80s, 90s, stuff that is quintessentially Gen X. Keep up all the great content and keep staying safe and healthy. Peace and love, Justin. It's funny that Justin mentioned that because I kind of had quietly been doing that kind of thing. I don't want to turn this into a Gen X podcast, but like I'd already prepared this this episode today about the Hale-Bopp comment and the, and the Heaven's Gate cult because of younger women I know that were like, no one's going to get that reference if it's on a TV show. <laughs> so, uh you're, great minds think alike. I um, I will definitely do more of that kind of thing. Hiya, Jen. It's your gay Gen X guy in Tennessee again. I typed... Uh, okay. I loved your spy chat. Wasn't Julia Child a CIA agent for a while? Oh, I think that's right. I read her book and I forget. I missed a few episodes, but you are one of very few Patreons to whom I'm getting back to listening. He says, omit his name if I read this one, so I will. So I recently joined the Dead Dad Club. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. It's been a couple weeks, and I must say it sucks a lot. One good thing is I learned who my true friends are, and I have more of them than I thought. And lots of nice flowers and plants. I also learned that if your supportive partner asks, why are you being grumpy a few days after you buried your dad, it's best to just take a beat and not scream, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's all okay now. One more story. At the gravesite, the preacher, who was my youth minister in the 90s, and I always thought he was gay and a little molesty, but I have no vivid memories of anything. The preacher was doing the hugs, and literally two feet away from the casket says to me, It's been so long, you're so handsome. What the fucking fuck? Such a surreal day, and then that creepiness. Del Shores could not have written that better. Thanks again for sharing your work and talent. Take care and stay safe as I know you are doing same here. Same to you, my friend. Now this woman, I do not share her opinion on this, but I enjoy her balls outtake. Hi, Jen. Please don't use my name if you read this out loud. I just finished watching your podcast and really appreciated you sharing the Fran Lebowitz podcast piece. I saw your show last fall where you wondered how on earth people can be having children now. Now, I I don't really wonder. I know, I truly believe it is a normal feeling to procreate and people got to do what they got to do. I just had a joke that I like to say because it's true. See, two things, sometimes you guys, it does feel like a cult because I think you guys cling too hard to what I'm saying. I don't want kids, but I wasn't wired for it. And it's definitely, maybe not be for everyone, but kind of a psychological issue on my part that, you know, I have to, there's like, not regret of not having kids, but there's stuff to work through and it's you know been painful sometimes but I do look at people right now who are pregnant and go really okay I just think it's a weird time but it's like that's like my so when I say stuff on stage what I'm saying are oh my god I had the shittiest thought that's based on like a very black and white way of thinking and then I say it on stage and then some people 
it can now lady who's writing me, I'm not saying you, but I'm, it connects with their heart. And I'm not trying to encourage like horrible black and white judgmental behavior. I'm saying like, while we're all alone in the room in the dark right now, like, let's just let it all out that sometimes we have this thought, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. And it's funny. A lot of people are finding my first special. I'm going to die alone and I feel fine. And they're like, I'm just like you. I'm like, I wrote that 10 years ago, you know, like, and a lot of people like, the misconstrue anti-wedding with being anti-marriage. And then I'm like, oh yeah, being single is the best. Like, again, I'm just like, oh, forget it. Forget it. Your work is not your own once you say it out loud. And that's really hard for me. It makes me actually mental. Okay. Anyway, my husband and I feel the same way, but I have several lovely, thoughtful, and wise women friends. There is nobody I can express that sentiment to except my husband. A good friend of mine who has several children. I mean, by the way, I'm also not like most of my closest friends don't have kids and uh the ones that are annoying about it I don't see them that often two of my really good friends have a kid and they're awesome okay a good friend of mine who has several children told me over the phone the other day that she was depressed because reality is so terrible and rather than empathize I thought but didn't say no shit Sherlock it seems that if you think after having a shitty life yourself that you're going to pop out kids and make the world be rosy for them, you're stupid, selfish, or an asshole. Okay, I do agree with that. Well, what I'm proposing is that if the urge to have children is a physical one that you just can't help, then maybe we need to talk openly about trying to manage that urge. The way you'd need to manage the urge to fuck a goat. <laughs> there is nothing sweet or sentimental about the urge to have offspring. It's instinct. I agree with that too. Assuming that you're in denial about it being instinct, you're either wanting to have children because you don't want to die alone or because you want someone whom you think you'll love best of all because nobody else is worthy of your love except someone who shares your genes and comes out of your pussy or because you want someone that will belong to you absolutely and to whom you will belong absolutely. I think there's something in between, but okay. All of these reasons make you an asshole as far as I'm concerned to feel as I do that I'm a soul trapped in a body and didn't ask to be born, to quote an awesome person, and then to turn around and condemn another human being to the same fate is the greatest assholery I can imagine. Well, see, I'm not upset that I was born because I have to realize that what I get out of being alive is so profound. Even though I hate the death part, I hate it. And like sometimes I guess it would be easier if I just never came to consciousness. But God, I enjoy it so much. And I... I don't think, I think inherently we're, we're built for, we're built to not be tortured by that, but you never know. You never know what kind of kid you have, but I don't think that I'm condemned. I don't think it's condemning anything. Anyway, for what it's worth, I think it's a thousand times nobler to love someone who doesn't share your genes and someone you don't have parental power over. It's a thousand times braver loving someone who you know may very well die before you, a friend, a partner, a spouse, loving them, knowing that one day you will lose them and face death without them. And if you truly want to give selflessly of yourself, then adopt a child. There, there we go. My opinionated listener who I appreciate so much. Jen, you can use my name to read on air. I just wanted to write and say that I found it both funny and disappointing to hear how many people flipped out over the how we met stories on the podcast. The funny is because I did have my own reaction to them. I don't know if maybe your original disclaimer about them went by too fast or was delivered in a soft way that didn't prepare me for it being a bit. But when you told the tipping story, it did come across as true at first. 
I mean, I know I sounded convincing, but context clues are, I'm always saying I'm not rich. And it was the 90s. I was making $11,000 a year in the 90s. Like, that's what I'm saying is like, how though? It, yeah, of course I'm saying it like it's true. I'm a performer. But context clues, context clues. Anyway, you're a convincing storyteller, plain and simple. Yeah, but okay. But of course, I immediately, ah, my scarf is fucking up. But of course, I immediately also had a what the fuck moment because I've been listening from the beginning and I know that you're not that kind of a rich bitch. Just like you said on the most recent podcast, I remember thinking at that moment, huh, that was weird. That was probably a bit, but I don't totally get it. And that is probably why it's a good bit because it's making me stop and think. Knowing Jen's audience, I'm sure it's not the last time we'll be hearing about it. So instead of taking to Twitter or email, I just waited patiently for more episodes. And the next time you lined up a similar How We Met story, I paid extra close attention and listened through the lens of, this is a bit, right? And of course, it all started to make sense. Good one, Jen. Good one, I thought. There you go. He knows what I'm saying. Context clues. So yeah, it's a bummer that so many people not only interpreted it wrong, but went out of their way to immediately express their disgust to you. It seems like a phenomenon the more intimate podcasters like you and Mark Marin suffer from. The sensitive listeners who create the loyal bond that you seek are probably always going to have an extreme fringe element that are just going to take things personally and demand attention in the moment rather than just be patient and wait to see how things play out. I wish I could offer advice on how to deal with it. Well, you don't need to because I deal with it great and I'm okay. <laughs> the see, I love that this email and I wrote him back and told him he never wrote back. He probably was like, what a cunt. But this email is exactly the same as people taking it too seriously. Like when I make a bit out of the fact that people don't get a bit, I know what I'm doing. That complete control as an entertainer. It's a Howard Stern-esque trope. Ah, okay. I'm like, hopefully one person understands this podcast. Um, I wish I could offer advice on how to deal with it beyond repeating the old saying, you can't please all the people all the time. Well, that wouldn't be a relevant saying because everyone was pleased. They were just upset with the way I handled them not understanding something. And that's not the same as you can't please anyone. It's uh, more like you can't control other people's reactions. Sometimes, Jen, you can't control your own reactions. But anyway, I don't need any advice. I'm okay. When I'm not okay, you guys don't know about it. <laughs> I'm I'm not Kanye West. I'm pretty good at not having public breakdowns. And, and, and that's not a knock on him. He's very sick. Um, when my friend passed away from bipolar, uh, he had public nervous breakdowns. And so I don't have that disease. So I have different things. Um, neurosis and, and stuff. I play out that on the podcast because I'm not suffering. But the real problems I have, um, I handle them off air. Whoops. This scarf is just pissing me off. Anyway, fuck it. People who aren't watching don't know what I'm talking about. It pains me to hear how much energy you invest in feeling bad. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is a typical man not understanding a woman doing a bit on her podcast that again, as I say, Larry David up here, performative, not in the heart, in the head, ba 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 neurotic, neurotic. Do you guys think with all this relaxation and meditate that I actually sit around feeling bad about this? 
I get a little like worried in the brain because I go, well, my job is comedy. And if people don't get my comedy, like I might be out of work. But guys, this this projection that I'm in this pain is hilarious to me. Like, what are you? Please don't worry about a thing you've made up. It's so inherently sexist. Um, and even if you listen to Mark Marin and you feel, don't worry about Mark either. Okay. It pains me to hear how much energy you invest in feeling bad about offending the fringe. I don't really, even that episode I did where I was like, oh my God, I'm too invested about offending the fringe. It was, it's all just thought process. It's not in my heart. Okay. Uh, when surely there's a silent majority of us listening going, no, 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 we get it. This is great. Keep it up. Though I can see how it would be really hard to deal with when your own family turns against you. Sigh. Well, they didn't really. Thanks again for the podcast. All right. Listen, I gave Phil a hard time. I did. But that's all right. Listen, you write me at your own risk. I'm like a shark. These are my waters. (laughs) I'm not looking to attack. You came into my ocean. All right. Oh, everybody. This has been a real fun episode for me, and uh, hopefully you as well. And to my Patreon patrons, you're amazing, and stick with me. We'll have a good time. I don't know what I'm saying now. And everybody, uh, again, if you buy any merchandise in my store, go to jenkirkman.com, click shop, any merchandise at all, my earnings will go to fund the front lines from now until the end of the year which helps healthcare workers get the PPE that they need. I have a new mask in the shop for you John and Yoko fans. You know their sign that says war is over if you want it. I have a mask in the same font that said COVID's over if you wear a mask. And I'm going to have new uh, once uh, new holiday merchandise coming out in October. And uh, I might even do some like fun masks for Halloween, you know, with like Halloween-y stuff on them that won't really seem like they have anything to do with the podcast because they won't, but that's okay. Um, there you go. Oh, lastly, for patrons, because you can see this, uh, there's a book coming out called Men to Avoid in Art and Real Life, written by Nicole uh, Tersigny. I wrote the foreword to the book. She's someone I know from Twitter. I didn't know her at all. But she had these funny tweets where she took classic paintings and uh, turned them into like situations that women get in, like men explaining things to them. And so I, she asked me to write kind of a snarky intro. And, uh, you know, when you write a forward to a book, you don't get paid for it. It's just so they can use their name, uh, use your name. And, and I, but I believed in this book. I thought it was fun. And I thought, well, I'll write a forward. And I met Nicole. She came to my show in, um, where was it? Uh, not Cincinnati. What's that? Wisconsin. Not Wisconsin. Oh, God. Milwaukee. I mean, yes, Wisconsin. But um, so anyway, I wrote the forward and it's a really cute book. It's not on sale yet. It goes on sale in August, but I think you can pre-order it. So there you go. Um, again, if you're doing that to give me money, I don't get any money from it, but Nicole's a cool chick, so give her some money. So there you go. And I will see you next time. Until then, don't join a cult. Stay on Earth. No spaceship is coming. Um, And be safe.